These top stories, the city's cops and firemen are telling everyone about Fear City. Soviet Communist leader Brezhnev says the United States and the Soviet Union should act jointly to bar the use of new horrendous weapons of destruction. Another drop in the business inventories gives new hope of an economic turnaround. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR, Radio 710, The Talk of New York. And here's Gene Shepard. I mean, you know, it's just about like going down to the, uh, I mean, if you're a Viking and uh, you go down to where they got these ships, you know, and you volunteer to be a galley slave. You know, say, hey, I like rowing. I'd like, how about a job there in the bottom of the ship there? Do you remember when Kirk Douglas was rowing those boats? Which, of course, you don't want to get into the problem like that. You know, it'd be kind of nice if they, uh, if they built a little uh, uh, Viking ship uh, for the uh, pond out here in... Uh, in Central Park. And uh, you could take your friends out, you know, and then they'd all wear nothing but these loincloths. And you walk up and down the middle like Jack Hawkins with a bull whip. And, uh, <laughs> you know. well, I mean, you know, these are just ideas for summer fun. What the hell? You know, you understand, of course, that uh, the juicing is coming back. Medieval juicing, yes, it's a very big thing in various parts of the country. Now, most people call it jousting. It's actually juicing. And, uh, yes, it's the correct, more accepted English pronunciation. And after all, juicing was an English uh, uh, game. <laughs> so you better take their pronunciation. But nevertheless, what do they do? You know, you, you get yourself some armor and uh, a horse and a couple of maces and maybe a lance or two. And you call your friend and he gets an armor suit and a couple of maces and a lance and a horse. And you go at it. That's, that's a, it's a new sport. And it's kind of fun, too. 
especially when you know with the split heads and and uh, the open thoraxes and all. But they don't really do it the way they should. You know. it's, it's what I would like to have is a catapult. I'd really like to have a catapult. You know, a great big one. You know what a catapult is. You know, and and, and just lob great big balls of. Uh, of molten lava up here to the 24th floor. <laughs> I mean, enough of this ridiculous uh, picketing. Let's get a, <laughs> let's attack the moat here. <laughs> all right, uh, before we go any further, please, uh, it's just, you know, it's Friday the 13th. After all, you don't, you don't mess around with Friday the 13th. So uh, what you need, of course, in this world is courage. And uh, as we all know, that the, that the, uh, the world is... Uh, is uh, recognizes the lion as a courageous creature, although he actually isn't. He's a craven coward. You know that uh, in reality, he is. He's a craven coward in the in the wilds. Although I'll tell you this: when he decides not to be a coward, you better have on your kids. But uh, in general, in general, he is a craven coward, which is uh, well, you know, it kind of gives him a human quality, doesn't it? So would you please give me a little of that lion in there? I just. I just need this. I need it, man. Oh, yeah. Well, the way things have been going, I need it. Come on, bring it up big, Joe. Big. Nothing like a small lion roar. That's... Yes. Oh, come on, man. Let's hear it. Sing it out. That's it. Hey, keep him uh, Keep him there. I need that. <laughs> I need that. Hey, uh, how many of you ever heard the uh, the story of that? I think I told the story in Princeton, didn't I? The first recorded example of that that uh, advertising slogan being heard in the land, thanks, I needed that. You know that slogan, don't you? Oh, thanks, I needed that, you know. You mean you didn't hear that story at Princeton? For heaven's sakes, where the heck were you, Dave? No, that was one of the one of the featured stories. Well, the first time I ever heard that, you know, I had this uncle. And, uh, you know, Michael Carl, see? And uh, as... Uh, everybody's got an uncle like this in their family. If it isn't an uncle, it's a nephew, it's an, it's a... It's a cousin. It's uh, you know, it's a, it, one of your more, let's say, uh, peripheral relatives uh, who somehow has slipped off the path of righteousness. And you you have you have such a relative, and you're everybody does, everybody does, and those who deny it simply don't know all their relatives. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> and our, our, my uncle Crow was famous among other things. He was he was a fantastic drunk, but the thing about Uncle Carl was, you know, some drunks get truculent when they get drunk. You know the truculent drunk, you know the kind of hey, what are you looking at, huh? You know, and he gets up off the bar stool, falls heavily down there, hits his head on a spittoon, gets staggering back up, you know, and starts struggling. Around. The, 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 that's a, that's an ugly sight, the truculent drunk. Then there's the sleeping drunk. You know the kind that as he drinks, he gets sleepier and sleepier. Until eventually he's just like, you know, just a big blob of silly putty sitting there. You know, you talk to him. Hey, Charlie, are you listening? You know, that's, you know that kind, right? Okay. Then, the, <laughs> then there's the silly drunk, you know, who thinks everything he says is unbelievably funny and keeps punching you on the arm as he continues to tell his interminable story. You know, <laughs> I said that, I said there, listen, baby. I said, I'll... he can't remember what the story is as he's gone or what he's even saying, but he keeps telling. <laughs> I said, he keeps hitting you, you know, all the time. Till finally, you start at one end of the bar, and he keeps hitting you, and you keep backing up, and you wind up in a john, and he's still hitting you, which is the doll at the other end of, you know, you know that type, see. 
Well, there's that type of drunk. And then there's the, uh, oh, there's all kinds of drunks. Then there's the philosophical drunk. And now, uh, this, is the, this is the drunk uh, that, uh, that you find most often in areas surrounding major universities. You know, the guy spent two years as an English major, and uh, now he's working at the Shell Station, and uh, he once was uh, tarred with the brush of philosophy. And so you sit, this is the kind of drunk that sits there, you know, and he gets quieter and quieter. Everybody else is raising hell at the bar and drinking, and he's getting quiet. And all of a sudden he says like this. He says, you know, you guys, you're all sitting around and laughing. Huh? Well, I'll tell you, you know, it occurred to you guys, 100 years from now we'll all be gone. Yeah. And he says it as if it's a profound insight he's just had. A hundred years from now, we'll all be gone. And then he says this. He follows it up with, You know, you know guys, sometimes you ever wonder just what it all means? What's it about, huh? <laughs> tell you. All right, that's the philosophical. That's the drunk that it can get be, he can get to be almost as boring as the guy to hit you on the arm. Now, uh... <laughs> then, then there's the drunk. Then there's the drunk, that, which was my Uncle Carl's type, who, as he gets drunk, he combines several elements. He not only gets uh, sleepier, but he gets more jovial. He laughs at everything everybody else says, indiscriminately. So if you're standing at the bar, you know, you're standing at the bar, you say, gee, it's terrible the way Aunt Clara got hit by lightning, and now she's gone. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> hey, how about a double, you know? And, uh, he doesn't hear you. He just laughs all the time. He says, well, Uncle Kyle's a laugher, and he also was a banjo player. And, and as he laughed and got drunker, he played a more inspired banjo. Until finally he was playing a banjo that was a blizzard of notes, and he's playing a banjo. Well, one Saturday night, Uncle Kyle slept in our basement. We had this basement full of old tires, and there were a couple of, uh, of uh, abandoned uh, round oak tables, you know, the kind that, uh, that are now very hip and chic uh, village uh, antique shops. But just a couple of years ago, we're down in the basement covered with ball jars and, uh, <laughs> and inner tubes and all that jazz. So we had a couple of those tables down there. We also had an old, old refrigerator that had been abandoned by a previous tenant of the house, the kind of refrigerator that has the great big round white thing on top that looks like a, a big grill, you know, the kind of like that, seeing the pipes coming out of the back. And it had a little itty-bitty freezer compartment. You could freeze only two, two trays of ice cubes, you know, and they always smelled like rubber. <laughs> you know, that kind of... So here's this great big ice box down there, this uh, big refrigerator, and it was all full of stuff like uh, model airplane kits and junk we kept in there. And the basement was dark and damp, and there was a coal bin. Did you ever see a coal bin? You know what a coal bin is, right? So uh, Uncle Carl one night slept in the coal bin because uh, they figured he couldn't make it home. And it was raining like hell, and there was no extra places, and Uncle Carl slept it off in the basement. And I was about 10, see. And I didn't know anything about drugs. I just knew Uncle Carl slept in the basement tonight, you know. So what? in the morning, me and my kid brother get up. You know, we, you know how kids get up at the crack of dawn, you know. I mean, tell you, dawn is is still creaking and cracking, and kids are already up, see. So it's, it's dawn, the birds are just getting up. 
and uh, me and Randy go running down in the basement, see, and there is Uncle Carl asleep on a pile of newspapers with an old blanket thrown over him, and he's covered with stubble. And of course, it's been a big night the night before at the Bluebird, right? So he's laying there, and my brother says, Uncle Carl, Uncle Carl. No, Carl's just absolutely skunked out. You know, he's first of all, he didn't get to bed till about five o'clock in the morning. This is about seven. You understand? And and he's just laying there snoring away. Absolutely, there's there's various gradations of sleep, as all of you know. There's the kind of sleep, the cat nap, where you just start dozing off. Then there's the uh, ordinary sleep, where you're sleeping, and uh, you know, you just sleep. That's ordinary, run of the mill Wednesday night sleep. Uh, then there is the kind of sleep that is very close to the great abyss. It's close to a total coma. <laughs> you know, the guy, <laughs> Uncle Crow is just laying there. So he just spread out and, and stubble. My brother says, Uncle Carl. See, we had some crazy idea that Uncle Carl would be very excited about us going out before breakfast and playing catch. Kids get these ideas, you know, playing catch at 7 o'clock in the morning when you're drunk. So, uh, it's Uncle Carl. Uncle Carl. And, and you can see Uncle Carl slowly moving. What? What? He figured the place was on fire or something, see, because a couple of flop houses that he'd been in uh, from time to time had, had caught on fire. <laughs> and Randy says, Uncle Carl. And I said, Uncle Carl. And I had my mitt. Randy had a ball. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think back. We wanted to play catch, and it was a taped ball. You know the kind of hard ball that's taped? It's got so much tape on it that it's, uh, it's grown from the size of an American League baseball, and now it's roughly the size of a cantaloupe. Weighs about, uh, oh, 30, 40 pounds when it's dry, when it's wet. A human being can't lift it. You know the kind of ball. So Randy's got the ball, you know, I got the glove and all that. So we're going to go out and play catch with my Uncle Carl, see, because he loved to play catch when he was right, see. So we just figured, well, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning, that's a great time. So Uncle Carl goes, <laughs> and he looked at my brother, and, and you know, looking back on it, I see now, he, 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 he looked at him with this look of wild terror. He's staggering to his feet. Now, my kid brother was about maybe three feet, four inches tall, so maybe two feet nine. And he looks at him like like there was some kind of a dwarf was harassing him. He couldn't quite tell who was. And it's on the coal bin. There's a dwarf there, see? Well, you know how it is when, uh, when, when you're dealing with real drunks that they'll occasionally see things like bats. They'll see birds. Uh, I, I knew a drunk once that whenever he really got bad, he would see bed springs flying over his head. Yeah, you know, you always hear about pink elephants. I never knew of a drunk that saw a pink elephant. But I have known a drunk that saw bed springs, double bed springs. You know, the inner spring mattress. He'd see the bed go right over him. And he'd say, oh, there's a mattress in here. And, of course, we'd run around, you know, pretend like we're swatting the mattress because that calmed him down. See, see, he felt we were fighting it. This is W.O.R. in New York, friends. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and the, the upshot of it was, now see, I was present. I didn't realize I was present at a historic moment. What was about to occur? Uncle Carl woke up saying, uh, uh, He's kicking away at Randy. Randy says, Uncle Carl, help a plane catch. Uh, oh, get away, get away. Uh, uh, oh, uh, all right. What do you kids want, huh? huh? What time is it? What? Uh, you know, the first thing, <laughs> somebody says, What time is it? 
You know, kids don't know what time it is. It's morning. You know, it's daytime. You know what time it is. Ray says, let's play catch, Uncle Carl. What? What? Huh? Let's play catch, Uncle Carl. Huh? <laughs> saw a sudden alarm. See? I said, let's play catch, huh? <sighs> oh, God. Hey, you, you kids got a drink, huh? Well, you know... <laughs> Randy says, yeah. And he goes over. We had this big sink where my mother did the wise. So he says, yeah, I'll get you a drink, Uncle Carl. And Uncle Carl says, huh, you got a drink? Huh, huh. He comes staggering out. See? And Randy has a ball jar, and he starts putting the water in, you know, from the sink. And, and Uncle Carl sees what it is. It's water. Oh, 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 no, 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 no. I want a drink. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's your kids. Hey, your kids. Hey. 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 It's a basement. Who are you in the basement, huh? There's a basement. Who in the basement? Ray says, yeah, yeah, we're in the basement. Let's go up and play catch. Huh. Oh, I'm at your house. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, let's just get out of here, huh? So he starts staggering up the steps. He goes struggling up the steps. And we, he reaches the second landing. <laughs> there were two landings. He'd go up one little flight, and there was a landing, see, where the where this basement door went out to the outside. And the, he reaches the out, uh, the basement Landing scene, he hangs out to the railing for a while. Hey, how much prior to go? I said, well, one more up, Uncle Carl. You want to go to the kitchen? Oh, yeah, yeah. So he struggles his way up. He opens the door, and in the kitchen is my mother. And, you know, she's hanging over the sink. She's getting breakfast ready. It's a nice summer day. And the old man is due to get up to go to work. You know, he worked a half a day on Saturday. He's going to go to work at like 8 o'clock in the morning. And she's uh, hanging over the sink, and she's got the eggs on and all that. And the Uncle Carl opens the door, and there was this tremendous blast of sunlight. <laughs> now, I don't know whether you've been around a drunk when he encounters sunlight for the first time at 8 o'clock or 7.30 on a Saturday morning after having slept in the basement for uh, two hours and having spent the night before at the Bluebird. The sun is a positive evil force. It is not just sunlight. You realize that? Uncle Carl, the son, he, oh, he staggers back and he holds onto the door. It's, oh, God, place is on fire. My mother says, what's the matter? What's the matter? She turns around. She sees it's Uncle Carl. She says, oh, oh, sit down, sit down, Carl. Are you all right? She always pretended he was sick. You know, this is the way she, you know, fixed it up in her head. She didn't want to admit. So she says, oh, yeah, are you feeling okay? You know, we're feeding very bad last night, Carl. So, oh, God. You got a drink? She says, well, yes, of course. And she turns on the faucet, you know. <laughs> Some people are so innocent. Because, no, 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 drink, drink. I don't need a drink. And she says, all I need is a drink. It'd make my head feel better, you know. A drink. And she says, just a drink. And I says, oh, gee, I don't know. Uh, gosh, I don't know whether we have anything here. So she opens up the cupboard, you know, where my, my father always had a bottle of uh, drugstore wine that he had, you know, for ceremonial occasions. And uh, she says, I, I, I think it's all gone. She says, wait a minute, I'll go out and look in the buffet. We have this thing called a buffet. Have you ever seen one? Well, on the buffet, uh, my, my father, who was never a drinker at all, you know, he just was not one of those people, see, but he used to keep a bottle around in case people came over who liked the stuff, see, and he always kept it in the buffet with a little set of silver shot glasses, the little metal type 
that he won bowling. <laughs> he won a shot, basically. So, so my mother goes in, she opens up the thing, and there's this bottle in there, but it's absolutely empty. It's you know, nothing but a little residue at the bottom. She says, gee, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Carl, but there's just nothing here. Oh, God. So, uh, where's the bathroom? Huh? So, I gotta go to the bathroom. So, I wash my face. And, of course, his face was all sweaty and covered with, with uh, stubble. So, he goes staggering to the bathroom, and the two of us follow. Me and Randy, you know, we follow. You know our kids. Oh, Uncle Carl, how about playing catch? And he goes into the bathroom, and he... Little did we realize we're about to see a historic moment. He grabs the knob on the medicine cabinet. He opens it up. He looks in the medicine cabinet. He, you know, now that I look back on it, I knew that Uncle Carl I, must have been an experienced man. He knew what he was looking for. He looks in the medicine cabinet, and suddenly he sees it. He grabs it and pulls it out. It's my dad's great big green bottle of aqua velva. He rips the top off, and he tilts it up. He goes, unk, unk. He's drinking the aqua velva. He looks in the mirror, and he says, Thanks, God. Oh, I needed that. Thank you. Thank you. And that is how that advertising slogan was born. God, thanks, I needed that. Uncle Carl grew a foot and a half. He just drained it. He turned around, he went, A little Dr. Jazz. A little Dr. Jazz. Thanks, I needed that. He's the first guy I ever knew who drank aqua velva with uh, aqua velva. (laughs) He loved it. He used to drink aqua velva, and you know what he used for a chaser? It was fantastic. He used to use Hattacall as a chaser. You don't know what Hattacall is? This is the way great historic advertising slogans are born.
There's just no substitute for talent. I mean, you can fake it, you can kid your friends, but when all is said and done, the real thing is what counts. General Tire, if you please. Someday you'll own. Someday you'll own. I say, sooner or later, you'll own generals. Whoa, we For 60 years, General Tire has been building long mileage tires and now the 40,000 mile dual steel tube radio. It started with a road-hugging radio ply body and then two strong steel belts are built around the body for long mileage, for puncture protection. You'll be surprised at what radio tire performance can do for your car. You'll be able to stay on a road now for change. So check your yellow pages for the General Tire headquarters nearest you and sing it out proudly when you march into that sacred place. Sooner or later, you'll own generals. <laughs> the mother of us all. I say, sooner or later, you'll own generals. But um, but. Does TV violence affect us? This week, TV Guide magazine devotes its entire issue to the question, what, if anything, is television violence doing to our society? Is it, as its opponents insist, breeding crime, making us indifferent to human suffering, fostering in children an acceptance of force as a solution to problems? Or is it, as its defenders say, simply a time-honored and necessary element of drama accepted as such by the audience? These TV Guide articles cannot settle the controversy. They can provide the basic facts so that you can judge the issues for yourself. Don't miss this special issue of TV Guide, America's biggest selling magazine. TV Guide. Wow. On sale now. Wow, boy, that's important. You know, with all those little boobly things in the back there, you can tell. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe. You know that, uh, you know, uh, violence, you know, they're talking about violence. Well, let me tell you, just the other day, what about that uh, that guy that uh, uh, saw a television show on how to escape with the, with the helicopter? I, I don't think anybody can deny that today, unless they've got a real stake in making dough out of some cockamamie series, that uh, the television has, in fact, uh, stimulated violence. It's certainly given guys a lot of creative ideas. Uh, oh, sure. I mean, anybody that denies it is, is truly... Uh, a working and operating sophist. <laughs> he may also be a working and operating packager. So <laughs> be careful whose who's, who's discussion you hear about it. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think one of the... Well, you, you see all kinds of great uh, moments uh, that have been influenced by television. You know, uh, for example, uh, one of the most common things now today that uh, that a state trooper will tell you is that after some wild scene has happened, like somebody, you know, there's a shootout on the Jersey Turnpike, or uh, there's a great big crash or something like that, invariably somebody says, Wow! It was just like on television! <laughs> <laughs> to him, that's the highest accolade. You can play reality. It's just like on television, right? Well, you know, speaking of uh, of television, because you notice, you notice that, uh, that, that the cop shows 
are getting more and more violent. Oh, yeah, you know, SWAT. Dynamic action team, complete with bazookas, flamethrowers, armor-piercing uh, <laughs> equipment. <laughs> the whole works, you know, they, they hit the ground. Wait till they, wait till they have a, a group of cops that operate as paratroopers. You know, they, they, they leap out of this low-flying... Uh, uh, F, uh, F-10 or something, you know, they leap out, they land, and they deploy the whole bit, you know, and uh, that's got to come. I mean, we're, we're moving in that direction. Uh, the, sure, you, already they're jumping out of, out of uh, helicopters. You see the, the, the scenes where the cops are constantly jumping out of helicopters. It's still up in the air, you know, they, they leap out. Now all they got to do is raise the helicopter another 15, 20 feet, and you got paratroopers, right? You know, it's just a matter of degree. <laughs> no, they just got to be. It, it's it's got to come. I'll bet some producer something. Hey, Sam! Sam! I just got this great idea. This guy on the radio is talking about paratroop cops. Oh, my God, it's great. They can land in a building, you know. You can see all these paratroop cops coming down on Los Angeles. Right? Terrific, you know. And they as they come down, you know, they make pinwheels, you know, like in the Budweiser commercials when they're flying, you know. Oh, sure, there's all kinds of, of, uh, of uh, various... Uh, Various, uh, well, let's put it this way, uh, upon the theme, variations can be played. And I suspect, oh, yeah, paracops, right, paracops, as opposed to two cops, it's paracops. Ah, very good. <laughs> the paracops. How about the, uh, here, let's, let's uh, give me a little echo chamber, Joe. The paracops. Combating the new techniques in crime, the paracops. A new organization formed to combat the highest echelons of international crime as they leap from the sky. Tonight, the exciting adventure called Storming the Bastion with the Paracops. Fantastic. Can't you just see them all sitting there and the guys holler Geronimo as they leap out? Or do they holler Luciano when they jump out? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> picking your favorite bad guy. So uh, I just wonder uh, where it's all going to end. You know this violence. It's a, you know it's really great. Uh, <laughs> I mean for the cuckoo birds that love it. Now uh, I think uh, here now here's the kind of stuff you just don't see in television. You want to hear a real cop story? I mean everything's cops today. Either cops or doctors on the on TV. Cops or doctors, and of course they they have variations on that thing. Then they have cops that are doctors. Doctors that are cops. And, uh, you know, you just can't be a plain, ordinary old working, you know, GP any longer. That's, that's all over. Wait till the day comes when, uh, when, uh, when Marcus Welby, you know, starts to drop in the ratings, as it already is, you know. And uh, they, they have a story conference, and somebody's sitting there, you know, all these guys are sitting around, old Dr. Welby and his, his assistant are sitting there, and that nurse, that cuddly nurse they've got. And uh, I can just see the, the producers, see. We'll, we'll call them for argument's sake, uh, uh, we'll call him uh, Stanley, right? Stanley, or LD as he's known to the, you know, to his minions. So it's not like you guys. I'll tell you, so we're on the wrong track. Okay, we got medicine, right? We had Susan Plachette, she had lupus. We had four cases of leprosy last month. We had uh, a bubonic plague hit. We had the time when, uh, when uh, you remember that, that tremendous thing we had with the famine there? And uh, we had this case of a wonderful case of eczema. We had the drug addiction problems. Now, where are we? Our ratings going down. And there's only one answer to give you medicine ain't enough. It's going to be medicine with a reason. And not only that, what do we got on our hands now? We got an old doctor. And everybody knows nobody who's old makes it anywhere on television. 
What's the new shows that are making it, huh? Rhoda, huh? Right. All in the family, right? Huh? Right. Well, what are the new shows, huh? Chico and a man, huh? Right. Okay. What do we got? We got an old doctor who stands around and holds people's hands and takes their pulse. And looks worried. That's not enough in 1975. Tell you what we're going to do. We just got a script from a guy out in Ohio. Gave me a great idea. Marcus Welby is going to retire from practice, and he's going to volunteer to be a volunteer riot control doctor for a group of cops that are attempting to stem the drug traffic that's coming in from Mexico. And not only that, as a hobby, he has taken up flying. So Marcus Welby will fly his own plane, and he's also a scuba diver. Now, more than that, one of the other problems that we got to face, what's getting big on television, all the new shows are about women. I wrote a Marge, Ms. all that. It's women's taking over. Women's taking over. Used to be, used to be the blacks took over. They're all gone now. It's women's are taking over, right? Dr. Welby, for years, has been interested in them sex change operations that they're doing in Denmark. He goes to Denmark, he wants to try a whole new life, and he comes back, and who is he? Cloris Leachman. We gotta keep the name, you know, that name's that's copyrighted name. I got a hell of a series coming up. ABC's interested. Little Dr. Jazz, please. ABC's interest. Keep that up, Joe, for heaven's sakes. Yes. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? That's just the way they talk. We'll get Barry Shear to direct it. We'll get the Brian Clemens, the guy that writes all them bad shows on ABC. He'll write them all. They're really good. You know, all these girls looking for ghosts. Got a little, uh, yeah, a little metaphysics in there. Uh, you know, we had more more stories about uh, about houses that are haunted, and the Hal Holbrook comes out of the garage and he's changed into a wolfman. And of course, this is a very bad medical problem. Doctor Welby has to treat this wolfman problem. <laughs> Hold it there. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! I feel silly tonight. It's Friday. You have one more commercial in there, Joe? I thought so. This summer, when you and your family are traveling, relax and refresh yourselves at a Marriott hotel and take advantage of our summer family plan. One easy toll-free call will give you a special guaranteed rate at any Marriott from coast to coast with a beautiful guest room, two big double beds, and of course the kids stay free in the same room. And we make it fun for them with pools and game rooms at most every Marriott. They even get their own special menu. And for you, there's a candlelit dinner in one of our restaurants and sparkling entertainment in the lounge. This year, your vacation deserves a Marriott Hotel. Once you found us, build your world around us. Make someone happy, make just one someone happy, and you will be happy. That's all right, Joe, I like to sing along, you know. Here's the toll-free number to call for reservations and information. <laughs> Don't look so worried, Joe, it's all right. 228-9290. <laughs> This is a goodie. Fly Aeromexico, the airline of Mexico to Mexico soon. Aeromexico, Aeromexico. Aeromexico, the airline that takes you to Mexico City and on to Acapulco on El Grande, our wide-body DC-10. El Grande, the piggy. Aeromexico, Aeromexico. 
Aeromexico is the only airline to offer you first-run movies, as well as stereophonic music on your flight down to Mexico City. And to make your trip even better, Aeromexico has over a thousand Aeromexico quality-approved tours to Mexico. There's bound to be one just for you. See your travel agent or call Aeromexico, the airline of Mexico, and fly with us soon. Oh, yeah, cop ch- shows have changed drastically. You remember the uh, the original big hit cop show? I mean, it was really big, you know. Ma'am, I want only the facts. Who was that? Who? What was his name? Yeah, but that wasn't his name. What was his name in the car? Yes, that's right, Sergeant Friday. My name's Friday, ma'am, and I just want the facts. Now, who was his partner? <laughs> now, that's true trivia. His first partner, I'll give you a clue. His first partner in the series, he died. No, he he, he died about, uh, oh, uh, halfway through the series. He uh, He was an older guy, and he died. And uh, he was replaced by another man. And what was his name? The character's name in the uh, in the series? Pinkus? Pinky? You better write it down. You know, <laughs> you know, enunciate well. <laughs> but those and they had such simple little cases like, uh, like uh, you know, the case of the missing hubcap. Uh, you know, stuff like. Uh, yeah, I remember watching one case where where uh, Sergeant Friday was sent out by um, yeah by the uh, by headquarters to case this laundromat because it was some sneaky baddie was sneaking in when the ladies were putting their clothes in the laundromat and they were going down the street you know to to, uh, to get themselves a glass of lemonade as they said on the on the <laughs> as they said on the screen and and. The, the whole case revolved around Jack Webb catching the guy that was stealing the uh, stuff out of the laundromat. Now, you just can't imagine SWAT hitting that scene. No way, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, how about, what was, the, what was another big cop show of the same period? Private Eye, actually. All right. His first name was Peter. Peter Gunn, correct. Right, and uh, and of course these these uh, these had a certain modicum of humor that ran through them at all, at all times. Uh, Peter Gunn, you know, was a, kind of a sardonic uh, uh, private eye. He was sort of a cross between uh, between uh, Raymond Burr and uh, possibly a little touch of uh, of uh, just a wee touch of uh, oh maybe Cannon in there, just a little touch. Uh, the Rockford File, closer to it, you know. Uh, who who uh, who played a uh, a western sheriff on television? No, it was it was a, a, a series called The Sheriff. You mean you don't know? Well, what kind of trivia men are you? It was called The Sheriff, and in fact, I did the commercials. And you know what the commercials were? Robert Burns cigars. He was sponsored by Robert Burns cigars, and it was called The Sheriff. And uh, and uh, I did all the commercials for two or three years on that series. What was the series? Who who was the star of it? 
I'll give you a clue. GAF. There you go. <laughs> well, gee, you guys are unbelievably dumb. Uh, that series is still playing out in the boonies, way out there, you know. Yeah, these series never die. Do you realize that there are stations that are still playing? I Love Lucy shows that were made when Lucy was maybe four and five years old. She was playing a baby, you know. And, uh, yeah, Desi Arnaz was even, wasn't even born yet. And uh, <laughs> they're still playing them, all right? J.F., all right? And, and he was the sheriff. You mean you didn't remember that? What the... Uh, all right, here's, here's more trivia. What other famous star uh, did a series where he played a retired professor, and his hair was white, and he was always riding around on a bicycle? Right, and what was the name of the show? It was a short live turkey. Was it called the short live turkey? What? It was called the Jimmy Stewart Show? Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, now, you know, these, these are true trivia. Uh, who, who, uh, who was the first big doctor that made it big on television? In your memory. Well, there was one even before that. It was a spin-off of an old movie. That is correct. That is correct. And who played the original Dr. Kildare? Who? No, no. He was the head of the hospital. Dr. Kildare was his young assistant. Well, now he's in such movies as The Three Musketeers and stuff like that. What's his name? All right. Who was Ben Casey? Who played Casey? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Who played? Now there were two. There were two. Actually, there were two series with very similar names of the sheriff. Uh, do you recall uh, a series where another man played a sheriff and he became very famous playing the sheriff? And uh, you don't hear about him anymore at all. Had a sort of round face, dark hair, pleasant guy, John Bromfield. What was the name of his his series? Don't you remember John Bromfield also as a character called the Sheriff? Yeah. Well, see, now now I'm just, just beginning to fully appreciate uh, how, how the depths of... Uh, what was the first cartoon character that ever made it big on television? There were a cartoon character made it real big. Who was it? Who? Well, that's pretty close. Pretty close. Don't you remember Bull... Uh, uh, don't you remember uh, the moose? What was the name of the moose? Right, Bullwinkle. And, uh, yeah, well, yeah, sure. Do you recall Tommy Terrific? Uh, see, Joe looks, uh, he's a little confused on it. Don't you remember Tommy Terrific? Tommy Terrific would always show up on a screen, and, and who was Tommy Terrific? What did he do? Okay, he was Tommy Terrific, but what was the name of his dog? Correct! <laughs> Oh, I'm telling you, I'm loaded with this kind of bad stuff. Tommy Terrific and his dog. Right. And he was really a big, fluffy dog. I remember the dog used to run around on a screen. And, uh, and oh, oh, this is getting silly. I was going to tell you, uh, you know, a real cop story. Here I run out of time. You know, a real cop story. You like the idea, though, of the paracops, don't you? Right. You know, and they work hand in glove with uh, with a private eye. See, you have to bring that in too. And it's this dynamic girl uh, who uh, 
was a fantastic first lady paratroop lieutenant colonel. She wears these high leather boots. Looks mean, you know, has a bullwhip. Well, what famous, what famous lady agent uh, had knives in her shoes? And they were tipped with poison. And, and when she was trapped, she could kick her shoe, and the knife stuck out, and she'd just kick you in the ankle with it, and you'd die in like three or four seconds of the evil venom that she had in her shoe. Now, that wasn't on television. <laughs> well, it should have been. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're just, uh, you know, who, who played in, who was Dobie Gillis? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Who was Dobie Gillis? And do you recall when television had a show called Eddie and Albert? Eddie, Eddie, uh, was a man and wife. And they had been a big radio TV, uh, radio soap opera type. You don't recall that. That was a big show, briefly. Do you remember the Al Morgan show? When this guy played the piano? No, not the Al Morgan you're thinking. It's another Al Morgan. Played the piano and he sang Tennessee Waltz. And uh, Good Night, Irene. Good Night, Irene. Good night. You know? Well, this is all great classic uh, early television. I mean, you know, it's the Theta Barra age of television. <laughs> all right, bring it up, Joe. Well, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? It's Friday with that. Uh, might as well get out and get a Big Mac, you know around the parking lot and yell at the girls, right? Uh, this is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.